Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Trinity Ability Co-op Podcast. I'm today's host, Harry O'Brien, but this will change. We'll be having different members of the Ability Co-op interviewing different people. In today's episode, I interview Clodagh Brook. Clodagh is an Associate Professor for Italian Studies at Trinity College here in Dublin. She's also the Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion. We talk about her research, how her, research, her research on minority groups in Italy relates to our movement here towards radical inclusion on campus. We talk about what's going on with COVID, how that's disproportionately affecting minorities. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you very much for sitting down with us. Um, I know you're a very busy woman. I, I've been doing a bit of research on you. I can tell you're on about a million committees. I'd say you're, you're an absolute Zoom expert at this stage. Absolutely. Um, we'll start off with something which actually has nothing to do with diversity or inclusion, mm-hmm. purely because it's what I found most interesting. Um, so you're a professor of Italian studies. What first got you interested with Italian? What was it? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> the probably the real answer if I was honest was I was always interested in languages and the Italian lecturers were they were at 10 o'clock in the morning and my and the Spanish ones were at nine so I started <laughs> Italian rather than Spanish I'm really really sorry to say that's the truth um, and then I absolutely loved it. So I went. I went to Italy. I, I spent. I spent a number of summers out there. Really loved it. Began to really love the the literature. Um, I suppose the language as well, which is musical, and I have an interest in all of the arts. So it's a fantastic. You know, it's it's just it's just a fantastic um, subject. I suppose if you've got an interest in in arts and in in history and. Um, uh, and, and in a language as well, it was just it was just brilliant. But I did start it for a very very for a very naughty reason in the beginning. Indeed. Where where were you studying? I studied at UCD first, and then went on to Oxford afterwards for my PhD. And was that a PhD in Italian? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, what was that like? A language in P- a language PhD? What's that entail? Yeah. Thank you. No, it was it was it was it was really interesting. I was working on poetry at the time. Um, it, it's it's fairly tough um, to do a PhD on 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 Italian poetry, but it was it was very it was very interesting. I had a um, I suppose quite a philosophical um, uh, subject that I was was working on um, closely with a with a supervisor in Oxford. Um, yeah, it was it, it, it was good um, and very very interesting for me at least. Yeah, I think I was reading some of that. Um... You can correct me if I'm wrong. It was on, um, I'm, I'm almost definitely getting this wrong, but it was, you were studying, so it was a poetry, I think it was a bit of film as well, was it? A bit of film yeah. and other, and how like from studying film and poetry, what that actually says about Italian culture. Yeah. yeah. Was that it? Yeah. yeah. I think in, in many ways, yeah. I mean, my... My my work on 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 poetry, which I did first, um, was quite um, uh, was quite arcane in many ways. I suppose it was about inexpressibility and the ability to express or not express, um, which I still think is really important today because fundamentally it has to do with how how things communicate and how we communicate and whether we really communicate who we are. Um, um, and through poetry, very often there is a communication of who we really are um, and. Very often in society, of course, there isn't that there isn't that communication. So I was looking, looking at that kind of communication and how it, 
how how expression takes place really um and how yeah through which through which methods expression and poetry takes place and then i moved on and worked on film um afterwards fascinating and one of the things that i saw that you spoke about was um how the voice of minority groups are expressed through these um these mediums yeah. i just i just like you to talk about how the current systems and the current mediums communication be it film or media how they suppress the voice of minorities how they do that today yeah yeah i i could give you an example i suppose from this is a recent book that i um that i was working on um which had to do with um cinema and religion in italy um and most people presumed I was working just on Catholicism, but I became more and more interested in minority religions in Italy and how they got into the film industry. And when I went and did some research and did some digging, um, I found that it was extremely difficult for um, filmmakers from minorities to actually get real stories um, of um, religious experiences, I suppose, across within the culture. Um, and I looked into the structures um, of the, you know, of Italy and the structures of the film industry um, to, to analyze what it was about those, you know, everything from the film festivals to um, the way that the, um, I suppose the way that the media works, who gets to talk um, in the national newspapers, who gets to talk on, on television, what they get to talk about. So I, I worked, worked quite a bit on that um, and it was a huge insight into just how people are excluded very often not consciously um, so the, the exclusion is not not conscious um, but it's there nonetheless and it makes it almost structurally impossible um, for certain uh, minorities to to really get uh, their own voice heard they often have a mediated voice somebody else talking on on on, on their behalf um, but that isn't, um, you know, that isn't that that isn't their voice. That's a mediated voice, um, and and that was, I think, that was a highly revealing piece of work. It wasn't what I expected when I started out. That wasn't what I expected really to be doing. But that's what came out of that 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 piece of piece of research. How can we change that? How can we change it so that these minority voices are represented, and not just in media, but also in the decision-making process, be it in politics or business or whatever? Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the most important questions to ask, um, and I think that that is the question that needs to be asked um, constantly, really. Um, the question... I think is answered in the sense that you must get some draw in. I, I see it as, as voices that must come from the ground roots, the gra grassroots really, um, but also from above. Um, if there isn't buy-in from the top, um, from the senior management of, a, of an institution, you can't make progress. Um, so it's really important to find ways of, um, I suppose, of showing the importance of these agendas to, um, to senior management. Um, sometimes that is just simply standing up, I think, and showing experiences because sometimes people don't hear or see the experiences. And it's really important to see lived experience, um, which I think can be shocking for people to, to see because they don't don't realize um, what it's like to be in a certain minority until they hear that person speak. And I know that, that there's been quite a lot of um, videos that have been made um, recently 
um, uh, especially from the disability, um, uh, I think I think it's the Ability Co-op and, and Disability Services made made videos, um, and I think those are those those are quite critical, really, in showing um, uh, in showing lived experience. But there also has to be the questions of funding. Um, government needs to make it imperative for companies, for universities, for others to take those steps. They need to encourage and that encouragement needs to come through funding um, because where initiatives are, are um, I suppose, are supported by funding, um, the senior management needs to listen, even where they might not be convinced by the more ethical or emotional ideas in the first place, um, because everybody's got a lot to do. Um, so I think, I think those things together help. Um, I'm very much an advocate of co-creation um, and the idea that that students um, and staff and students and you know people further up the management as well can have discussions together um, so that I suppose so that management can learn and that lecturers can learn um, uh, from students and vice versa. Um, so there's a, a sort of co-creation. Uh, in curricula and co-creation in administrative structures and, and so on really. Yeah that's I I work with the ability co-op making those videos and we said about funding is so true it's so yeah. true we, we, we need more funding more money other things. Yeah you mentioned uh, subconscious bias and I have subconscious bias you have subconscious we all do people listening yeah. do how can people kind of work on that subconscious bias and be consciously unbiased have, have you revealed anything from your research on how can we done yeah um i mean i think there is training and i think that everybody should do training i um i think that's probably the answer to that that there is there's training online um you can do tra training through you know our committees are trained now we have new um in trinity now we have all committees are trained um in terms of unconscious bias um, a lot of the, um, you know, if you're if you're on a if you're on a um, recruitment, uh, I suppose if you're on a on a recruitment committee, you're also trained in terms of unconscious bias. So I think the training helps, and then it's a matter of remembering that certainly within an academic institution, we are all people who think. So I think we have a responsibility, an ethical responsibility, to think about where we're coming from what privileges we've had, um, what, what, what those privileges do for us, um, what the lack of privilege does for us um, and does for others, um, and to think about that, and not just to think about it, but also to embed it in our, um, in our actions um, and in our curricula um, uh, as well. So it's not an easy thing to unpack. Um, we will all have our biases. They are very difficult to root out, if not impossible to root out, but you can acknowledge them, acknowledge privilege um, and, um, and check yourself um, for privilege um, and check yourself for bias. Um, and I think that's what we all have a, I, I would say it's an ethical responsibility to do. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I, I believe, have you, have people from the Ability Co-op been in contact with you about that training? Have they? And how, what, what were you talking about? Um, I mean, I've t we've, talked, we've talked to the uh, Ability Co-op about a number of things. I mean, training, um, what would be useful, um, how we take things forward, um, uh, the, 
the um, inclusive curriculum that we're we're kicking off in Trinity. Um, uh, so we've yeah we've, we're we're in conversation. I think the ability co-op is is a fantastic um, uh, thing to have come out of Trinity. Um, I I really I'm, I, as I say I'm a very strong believer in student led. I think it's very powerful. I think it's really powerful for other students to hear that voice um, that's coming not from above always, um, but coming more organically from 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 the student body itself. Um, so I think. Yeah, we have we've had had conversations and we'll continue to have conversations um, both with the with the both with the ability co-op and also with students union um, uh, in, in terms of 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 moving forward agendas um, and making sure that the student union keeps these agendas in, in mind as well and that we're aware of things going on in the student in the students union so that we're we're I suppose using the synergies as we can and not not repeating stuff um, to yeah, yeah. I'd like to pivot to something which is summer related, but kind of it's um, something you're very familiar with, something I, I don't fully understand. I'm hoping you can expand upon it. It's the Athena Swan program. Yeah, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, it basically it's, um, it's a charter. So you have different groups and different colleges. And I believe you identify and promote policies and practices that help increase gender equality. Would that be accurate? That's a pretty good description, yeah. Um, I think Athena Swan is actually a really successful um, method and it's a really successful uh, charter to look at when you're trying to bring change. Um, it's, it's, it has managed to bring change and it's not easy and it's managed to bring change relatively quickly um, into Trinity as well. A couple of the, the tips I think from Athena Swan are that in Ireland, this was underpinned by funding. So, and this is a really important part of it because it matters to the university to get, get um, awards um, because research funding depends upon Athena Swan. So, and this was a government decision to make um, research funding dependent on um, Trinity getting um, an Athena Swan bronze, then getting an Athena Swan silver, um, uh, you know, so we're, we, we will need to get a silver. And that, that just helps the agenda, smooth the agenda um, through, because lots of people support it, um, but then another set of people support it because there's money attached to it. So this, there's, there's, there's different motivations, I suppose. So that's one of the tips from Athena Swan. I think the other thing is that it does, it bases itself on data. Um, so it looks at um, it, it looks at what's going on. It takes surveys, focus groups, listens, um, looks at data, and then it makes very careful action plans, smart action plans based on real concrete things. Um, and it takes small steps. So first, you you identify where the problems are then you start to address those problems in a way that's measurable, in a way that, that is very concrete. Um, and then as you move forward, you begin to show the impact um, and you must begin to show impact of those decisions. And if those decisions and the things, the actions that you wanted to take don't have impact, then, um, then you've got to go back to the drawing board and find actions that do have impact. So it's really about, and when I say impact, I actually mean benefit. 
So it's really about finding out what actions bring benefit, what actions really bring change, what actions bring benefit. So it's, it's a useful model for looking at other things like, for example, race and ethnicity or for looking at disability and that sense of ensuring that that all the goodwill, all the desire for change isn't lost because there are maybe a list of actions or things you want to do, but no way of drawing them through and ensuring that they get embedded in the structures um, of, the, of the institution. It's, it's an important, I think it's an important lesson that, 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 that changes, problems are, are, I suppose problems are, are structural and therefore responses need also to be structural. Um, it doesn't mean they're dry and boring, it just means that they have to tackle certain things that are, provide, are proving to be obstacles, I suppose, for people to be, to be successful and to flourish. I love that you brought up um, data and that data-driven mm -hmm. approach. I, I, as a yeah. data science student, I love all that. Um, it's so important like what we're trying to improve is so intangible like how do you measure this is a dilemma yeah. we face how do you measure inclusion yeah. and uh, in your in in this case gender equality can you speak about that data-driven process for uh, for measuring um your your progress yeah um it's it is really it is really interesting um so I guess what you're doing is looking at where you were back in 2017, where you are today. Um, and for us, it might be looking at the number of um, women who apply um, to come to Trinity, um, the number who are accepted, for example, to come to Trinity um, and the numbers who finally come to Trinity. And you can look along that line and it's a data line, but you can look along that line and see Hmm, right, well, the problems are they don't want to come to Trinity. So why don't they want, why do students not want to come to, I don't know, to, to one particular faculty because um, if, they're, if they're female, well, what's that about? How do we encourage them? Or maybe the problem lies instead with, um, with the fact that they don't get in or they don't take the place. They're given a place, but they don't actually take it. So why don't they take it? Um, so you begin to put actions in place then based on exactly where the problems lie. And if you don't do that data work, you can't actually see, you just see that there aren't enough perhaps female students in, in one faculty or there are too many female students in another, in, in another faculty or another department. But if you, um, if you don't have the data, you, you don't know where the pinch points are and you don't know where to target your actions. Um, and we don't all have endless, I have a lot of energy as you can probably tell from the amount of, amount of work that I'm doing yeah, in committees I'm on and all of that. But still, even my energy is not endless. So you've got to be efficient with it. Um, and I think in some ways, although the data is hard to gather, um, once you've got it gathered, it can help you be efficient then after that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we did in the, the new EDI unit um, and put in was an EDI data in an EDI and Athena Explain Swan. Explain what an EDI is. Um, EDI is equality, diversity and inclusion. Okay. So it takes in all of those things. Um, so not just um, looking at equality legislation, but also how we make um, our campus more diverse um, and also how we, once it's diverse, how we ensure that that diversity feels that that campus is for them. Um, and the 
space which is not the um i suppose the space which is not campus as well so this zoom space the um the the off off campus space as well how that's inclusive and how that feels welcoming for people and what are you doing now? you say you measure the data with how many women want to come to trinity how are you trying to increase that now um, it'll depend um, on what area we're looking at. Um, in some, you know, in some departments, it might actually be there are not enough male students coming in. Uh, that's the case in my own um, subject area, which is Italian, where we have a lot of women coming in and not, a lot, not enough um, men coming in. And it'll depend from department to department what the answers are. Sometimes it's about it's about pictures and images and symbols, so that if we if we, I don't know, if we, if you imagine a scientist um, and your image of a scientist or a physicist is always a male, then you might think, right, well, I'm not going to apply there because that doesn't feel like, that doesn't feel like me. Um, or you imagine when a language student and you think, well, that's a very communicative kind of person. Um, that's, that's, that's a, that, that's, that's a woman. Um, then you might not attend. So we need to do things sometimes like look at the websites make sure that the websites are showing um, in the sciences, that they're showing um, plenty of women um, scientists, plenty of, of, of female students um, on the website, um, ethnic diversity, um, disability, um, that they're showing a variety of kinds of students. Um, so that kind of symbolic level is, is really important, I think, um, to get right. But there are lots of other things as well. Some might be outreach, so going out into schools um, uh, um, and talking to schools, producing videos, um, all of this kind of work is, is really quite important. Um, and then sometimes improving the reputation of individual schools or departments as well. Um, uh, that, that, that work might need to be done or looking deeper into, into um, uh, I suppose, uh, the cultures of schools and departments too. That's a bit of deeper work beyond just the, the, the surface changes, but there might be changes into the cultures of the schools as well um, that, that needs to be done. You talk about increasing uh, women and then increasing men in other areas. Do you believe that, because obviously there are physical differences between men and women, do you ever believe we'll get like to a point where we'll get like 50-50 men everywhere? Or what is the kind of, where do you think, where do you think the kind of end goal is? Like, what are we aiming for? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think we're aiming for gender balance. Um, so gender balance is usually seen as kind of 40-60, so not a rigid 50-50, but a kind of 40-60. Um, and nobody would have believed, I think, 20 years ago how far we've got. Um, so, you know, um, even I think it's back in 2017, we had, I think it's 2017, we had, um, we had just 17% of Professor A's, so the, the, the top level of professor. Now we have 31%. Um, so something has changed in, in the meantime, in very few years, really, um, something has changed. It might be 2015, I can't remember exactly. But over, over a small number of years, something has changed. 
and people feel more comfortable once in in entering that so a woman might look at 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 a professorial you know a, a top professorial post and think mm, can't reach that I, I need to have a sex change in order to get to to get there basically um but that's not the case now um because um i think um there would the 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 the, the um I suppose that the uh, that the, there are images of, of women now at Professor A. Um, so that is, um, it's become more accessible, I suppose. And the same thing with our senior management as well, um, which is now gender balanced. Um, so the, um, you know, 60, 40 um, across council, across board, across the um, executive officers group, those are all gender balanced now. Um, there's a lot more work to be done, um, both in terms of, of gender, but also in terms of ethnicity and race, um, where there's very little visibility. Um, and disability where we don't know is the answer. Um, uh, so in, in very many places, we actually don't know. There's very little disclosure um, among staff. There's better disclosure among students um, of disability, but among staff, there's not disclosure. And we have a bit of concern about that because that suggests that people are not comfortable to disclose. Um, and that, dis, you know, that uh, it suggests discomfort. Um, um, and I think that's one of the things that we'll be wanting to address. Yeah, and um, that's something that yeah, we see all the time, the ability co-op, it can be yeah. incredibly uncomfortable to identify yourself as different. And yeah. that's true for everything. You know, yeah. no one wants to stand out from the crowd. You were interviewed by a journalist from the Silicon Republic, am I correct? That was oh, yeah. pretty recent. Right. You were, yeah, you were, you're kind of famous. <laughs> and um, you were talking about how in COVID-19 at the moment, we've seen a, a dip in most areas in the mental research that women are putting out. Yeah. And how that's like the cyclical effect of like women are putting out research. This research would generally, it would benefit everyone, but it would slightly benefit women more. So, yeah. you know, can you talk, talk about, um, can you talk about this, like how that, that cycle and the disproportionate effect on women and what we can do to, to help women? Yeah, um, yeah, this, this is quite interesting. Um, there's a number of articles that came out, including one in Nature and then a second one, in fact, in Nature as well, that talked about the effects of COVID having affected um, women researchers more than it had affected men, looking at numbers of um, articles that were published um, by women and men um, at the period of the early point of, of COVID. Um, suggesting that this had to do with a, a return perhaps to women to um, having to do the, the work at home um, as well as the research at the same time that this was falling more to women at home um, being carers um, and certainly falling to carers. I think the effect of COVID-19 on carers has been, has, has, has been particularly, um, particularly strong. So I think um, we need to see more um, and over a longer period what this has, has actually done to, um, to, to women's careers. Um, and we need to monitor that. And this is something that we will monitor in Trinity as well, is, is there an effect? So do we see that there are 
fewer women um, publishing over this period? Have women been un more under pressure during this period than men? Or is it a question of carers or where, 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 where are the pinch points and, and what has the effect been, I think, over this, this, over this time? So, so COVID is, is, a, is a big issue, um, how it affects equality. Um, who it has affected. Um, we know, um, I saw in my own school, um, and it, it broke my heart really um, yesterday to see the effect on, on, on students um, uh, of, um, of not, not being able to come in um, with COVID, particularly first years who may not have seen the campus yet, um, who haven't met us personally yet, um, and, and these these really difficult things um, and the increase of inequality potentially in terms of some students having better home environments, better access to, um, to internet, um, better access to a table that isn't the kitchen table shared with everybody else. Um, so these kind of kind of issues are, are issues that are, are very important to, to equality and risk risk driving us backwards in time. Um, one of the things that I was pleased about during COVID was that the questions of equality and the questions of inclusion didn't disappear from the agenda. We were all quite concerned nationally that, um, that equality would, would, would just go down the agenda. It's been very high on the agenda in, um, in Trinity, um, which I'm sure, I hope, at least in the ability quote, you've kind of felt that, that there is support kind of from the top as well. Um, but it's been very high up the agenda in, in, in Trinity, um, which I think is marvelous. And um, it's been quite inspiring, I think, for me too, to feel that, um, um, you know, at the top tables um, as well. But it didn't, it didn't drop down um, the agenda, but we're just going to have to keep monitoring. And this is where data comes back in. If you like your data, come, your data comes back in here. We'll need to keep monitoring the data and seeing the effect. Um, and. And, and then seeing how we support on the back of that um, uh, women's careers or what we do to mitigate the, uh, the, the effect on women's careers, but also um, in the very many other areas where this might have, where this might have happened. It's interesting how every, every child has two parents, but so often, so often everywhere, if the childcare responsibilities fall on the mother. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, I know pr pretty much nothing about childcare. I was a 21-year-old uh, young lad. The only thing I know about yeah. childcare is babysitting my, yeah. my cousins, and I hate it. And I hate it. So I'm just wondering, how, what, what is it, do you believe, that is, making, that is making this childcare responsibilities fall disproportionately on the women? Is it because I just, I know from my own case, my mother was the one that I, who, um, when my parents got married, she stopped working because mm. she was on less money. So it just made sense at the time for mm. her to take on the child responsibilities. I'm just wondering what, what is it that is causing this to fall disproportionately on women? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. Um, and it could take a very long time to answer. I mean, I suppose one of the things that comes to mind immediately is roles and what we've seen in our lives up to now in terms of a role, the mother is the caring um, role. Um, and, um, you know, if you have that idea in your head that the mother is the caring role, it's easy to carry that forward. Um, and we were talking about unconscious bias early, earlier. It's a kind of unconscious thing that we carry forward into our lives that sometimes doesn't get deconstructed um, as, we go, as we go on in our lives. Um, and 
in a period when push comes to shove, um, so in an emergency, some of those, some of those um, unconscious things are what we fall back on. Um, so we fall back on things that feel comfortable, that in an emergency feel natural or normal. Um, and those are the kind of biases um, that we bring with us. So there's, there's, there's possibly um, an extent um, to which that is true. There's also always the weighing up in a couple of whose work is most important. I mean, if the kids are sitting there and need their lunch, which partner has the most important work? Um, which partner can go and, and um, uh, can, can go and, and, and feed the kids over over lunch and 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 you know do the homework and all of that? Um, uh, so you know there's 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 ver there's various questions that come into it, but I, I think the questions of roles and what we grow up with and what we see um, uh, tends to come back, especially in an emergency when you you fall back on, on, um, on, on, on a particular way of, of thinking that might be, uh, might, might come from a long time back that you think you put to bed um, and that you, you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't thought about for a while but comes out, it comes out to bite you then sometime later, even if you think you're progressive and, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be falling back into those roles. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Is, what are you working on at the moment? Well, I assume you're working on about a million things. Well, what are you working on at the moment? Um, do you mean in research, in on teaching, on um, uh, research, on, on research, on research? I'm bringing to completion um, this project which deals with um, the arts. Um, so I am working on. I suppose working on a couple of chapters um, that deal with the way that arts and artists worked together in Italy across those disciplinary boundaries. And I'm looking particularly at convergence culture, um, uh, and um, which is a lot to do with co-creation. So 2007 is a year I'm working on. Um, it's just after the launch of YouTube. It's just after the launch of, you know, these kind of platforms in which there's some, the beginning of bottom-up sharing. Um, so this idea that, that amateurs um, can be part of a creative process. Um, that you don't have to know everything in order to um, to be able to, uh, I suppose, to work creatively. Um, and that change that takes place around 2007 is one that I've been working on and thinking on. That's one of the things that I'm doing. I also work on, on various other years and various other points of, of change. But that's one that I'm interested in. So, and this feeds into, I always think that some people think that leadership and administration is sort of different to research. For me, leadership and administration is, it's absolutely research driven. So these ideas about, about co-creation um, and my interest in co-creation comes from looking at the world in Italy in 2007, which is, you know, dominated by thoughts of um, Henry Jenkins with convergence culture and how, how lots of different worlds collide through the media and also the idea of collective intelligence, which I'm really interested in, which is an idea which comes from Pierre Lévy, um, who, um, who, who talks about the importance of pooling lots of intelligence in a complex world so that we need to pool lots of different um, voices in, an, in, a, in a complex world in order to understand the complexity that we have in front of us. So I have kind of an interest in those, those areas and I bring them then into my leadership. That's really interesting. It's really interesting what you mentioned about collective um, information. And uh, I, I love what you brought about the uh, YouTube just the equality yeah. of YouTube, I love it. 
yeah. I've had this debate with a friend of mine. He says, and I, I can't even disagree with him. I, I'd like to know your thoughts on it. He says that the greatest driver for diversity and inclusion is capitalism. He says, like he brought up, he brought up social media. He said how that brought about the Arab Spring was a big driver of it, which brought about greater equality, especially for women who are who are um, and women and people with disabilities and the LGBTQ community. And then he spoke about how YouTube, that's a great leveler and WhatsApp. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that train of thought. Yeah, it's this, these are really interesting questions, actually. Um, Henry Jenkins, who wrote Convergence Culture, that's 2006. Um, he, talks, he talks quite a bit about this and he takes, he takes the big American companies who produce, um, um, I suppose, who are producing very much within a capitalist model, um, you know, Star Wars, that kind of thing. Um, and they produce these big uh, stories, um, but then they are taken by ordinary people really, um, and who create websites and further stories. And, you know, I don't know, they, they, they create stories around one of the minor characters and, uh, and what kind of create with the capitalist um, company. So it's, it's, it's sort of an interesting, um, uh, what's, the, what's the word you might give to it? A, a, a discussion or a, a, a pushback or, or a dis almost a dialogue with capitalism sometimes from a different perspective. But those very tools that are sometimes um, provided and are, are ambiguous, I think. Um, so they're tools that are, are both tools, you know, um, Facebook um, and such like have been in trouble for this, that they are not, um, they're not straightforwardly tools that can be used for democracy and they're not straightforwardly democratizing, um, but they have brought a certain democratizing with them, um, but it's an ambiguous democratizing um, and a problematic one. Um, so, so, um, so there's been, I suppose we've, we've got a bit wise to these things. I think when I look back on 2007, it was a sort of utopia in which everybody thought that the internet, that the growing sort of social media platforms were going to bring, uh, an important democratizing to society. Um, and then when you look forward and fast forward to the present, that's not always as straightforward as that, um, as we've seen through various manipulations of these of these um, of these platforms. So I think, like anything else, these platforms and and capitalism it's, itself is 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 a complex. It's knitted into all of these questions of, of diversity and inclusion in a, in a complex way. Um, and companies, of course, will also will use diversity um, to, to sell products, um, uh, you know, and there's been a lot of that. Um, and, um, you know, some people think this is good because at least you get, you get more um, pub publicity, more, more, more work done um, around um, inclusion and di diversity. Others will just think of this as a bit of a cynical move on the part of companies um, who are milking, um, uh, a market um, by getting their their pictures right and their images right, um, it can be it can become quite superficial. Um, so it's it's a big it's a big debate. Be worth having a, a conversation on on that, or having a actually probably having a conference on 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 that kind of thing. It'd be quite interesting to to discuss that in a bit more detail at some point. Yeah, yeah, I would. I'm sure the uh, Uyghur Muslims do not feel that technology is helping them. 
So yeah. it's a very interesting, it's, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, it's, you can't know, you can't know everything. That's why it's so important to have all these, we use the collective knowledge, everyone. Collective intelligence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Listen, Claudia, you've been very good with your time. You've had, you've brought some great, like, these are kind of vague thoughts, like diversity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah you really, for me anyway, you've brought, because I still, I've been working with the ability crop. I don't really know what inclusion is, you know, I think I do. And it's so hard. You have to bring it back to these real world examples. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And academia as well and research and the scientific yeah. method. So thank you, Claudia. Thank yeah, you for your no, time. No, pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Harry. Thank you. So there you go. That's our first ever episode. I'd like to thank Claudia again for being very generous with our time. And thank you, the listener, for actually listening to this entire podcast. If you did make it to the end, we'd love some feedback. We'd love to know how we can improve. So please reach out to us at the ability, C-O-O-P, at gmail.com. It's abilitycoop at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything, and Instagram. So please find us and follow us. Give us a like. I'm sure you won't regret it. Again, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.